as a nation this week, we are particularly familiar with difficult questions asked by people on different sides of the divide. As the nomination process for Amy Coney Barrett has played out on our television screens, we've seen people who, who know what answers they want to hear and are trying to trick her into answering questions that would in some way incriminate her and how difficult it is for anyone in that situation to navigate those questions and try to come up with something that is true and authentic, but also doesn't get someone, get, doesn't incriminate yourself. And that is exactly what's happening to Jesus in this text. Jesus has come into Jerusalem. He's in the last week of his life and everyone except for the popular group of people, the, the masses, are out to get him. And so he is um, he's bobbing and weaving between questions that are being posed to him by all the different factions, by the religious leaders and by the lawyers, and then in this text by the Pharisees and the Herodians. Now this is a really interesting grouping of people that, that come to him because these two groups of people are on opposite sides of the issue. And unlike in our uh, Senate this week, they both want the same outcome. They both want to catch Jesus. They don't just, one of them is not for him and one of them's against, they're both against him. So it's that old, that old saying of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. The Pharisees are the, the religious leaders, the, the leaders that really hold what the law is and what they think it should be. And the Herodians are the people who are with Herod, the, the leader of Israel whose power is propped up by the Roman Empire. And the problem between them is that, is that for the Pharisees, they thought the Jewish people should not be ruled by anyone except for a Jewish leader. And in fact, they had a lot of problems with the Roman Empire because the Roman Empire claimed that the emperor was God and no one is God but God. And the Roman Empire had, had the, the image of the emperor everywhere. And so in these two things, both of these two things um, were violating of the first two Ten Commandments. This, this commandment to love someone else as if they were God, and the commandment to not make any graven images. On those two things alone, the Pharisees would have had problems with the Roman Empire. But the Herodians were on the side of Herod. They were, they were for the empire. They were for the way that, that maybe helped their chosen ruler. And, and so these two groups were usually opposed to each other, but on this day, they decided to, to gang up together on Jesus and to ask him a difficult question. Is it lawful to pay taxes or not? Now, Jesus knew he was in a, a no-win situation, a no-win situation. So he, he asks them for a coin. Now, it's interesting that Jesus didn't have a coin. They were in the temple, and, and one commentator 
mentioned that you shouldn't have a coin in the temple because that had a graven image on it. So you were violating a commandment. So Jesus may not have had a coin on him for that reason, but for whatever reason, someone did have one and produced it. And he looked at it and he said, whose picture is this? And they said, Caesar's. And he handed it back to them and said, give to Caesar's what is Caesar's and give to God what is God. Now that word of, of the image of, that is on the coin, and earlier when they say, um, Rabbi, we know you show no partiality, those are all kind of the same, um, the same word that is used in Genesis of the fact that we are made in the image of God. So they say, Rabbi, we know you, you show no partiality. What they really say is we, we know you, you don't look at what is on the surface of anyone's face or image. And then he asks whose image is on this coin. And so there's this, this sense of imprinting of, of image of who we are in this text that is, is really powerful. The image of God is imprinted on us. The image of Caesar is imprinted on the coin. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Jesus takes a political question and makes it into a worship question. The first question I wanna ask is what is Caesar's? Before we jump over to what is God's, let's take a moment to acknowledge that in this question, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, in this statement, Jesus makes space for political and social and civic engagement. We live in principalities and we need to be conscious and discerning about how we live in them and how we relate to those authorities and what our responsibility is to them. And while it's easy to just say, I don't care about it, or my citizenship is in heaven or with God, and Jesus is posing a question that maybe there is something that we are to give to Caesar. Maybe there is something that we are to return. Maybe we do have a duty or responsibility. You may remember in the book of Jeremiah, the, the prophet is, is speaking to the people of Israel who are in exile. And of course, they are not at home. It's not even their government. They have been deported or, or captured into that place. And, and yet the prophet says to them, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So Jeremiah, the prophet, seems to be saying that even when we're in a place that we don't agree with, in, in living in a space in which um, doesn't feel like ours, 
we can do good. We can be the presence of love. We can work towards justice. Potentially, we can even flourish in that space. And yet there are times in which our relationship with the empire is, is much more difficult. There are times when, um, as Marcus Borg asks, what if Caesar is Hitler, apartheid, or communism, or global capitalism? What is the, the ancient, what is the attitude of Christians toward domination systems, whether ancient or modern? What is the attitude of Christians toward domination systems, whether ancient or modern? And we have some, some recent examples of people who have struggled with this question of how they relate to empire. Many of us will think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German citizen under Hitler's rule and had to make a difficult decision about whether or not to participate in an assassination attempt on Hitler's life. He chose to, to help the resistance and, and that decision eventually led, led to him being imprisoned in a concentration camp and dying there. By the same token, we also know that earlier in his life, Bonhoeffer came to New York City to study and to do a, a fellowship at Union Seminary. And while he was there, he really struggled with whether or not to return to Germany because he knew that it was a difficult place to be and a government that he did not agree with. And yet he decided to go home and be a part of it, even though what he eventually decided was to be a part of this political, attempted political coup. Recently, a friend mentioned to me a story of a, a trial that he sat on in a hearing for a conscientious, conscientious objector to the Iraqi war. And this young man who had done tours in Iraq said, I can't go back. I just don't think Jesus wants me to kill any more Iraqis. Now, this may not be another soldier's decision. They may have different loyalties and different um, conscious um, consciences towards their participation. And yet each of us has this conversation to have with ourselves. And Jesus doesn't draw a line. He doesn't say you should participate in this way and you shouldn't participate in that. He just says, give to Caesar what is his. But I think also don't give Caesar more than is his due. Don't allow your loyal to be, loyalty to be so great to, to Caesar, to the government, to the society that, that you forget your original imprint of belonging to God. Jesus seems to be inviting us to just stop for a minute on that little bit, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to think about how we can participate in the system with intention and reflection. Give to God what is God's. So what is God's? Well, simply for us, everything. But back to the image imprinted on the coin, Caesar's face may be on the money, but God's face is on us. We are created in the image of God. 
And, and even further, we are imprinted on God as well. I love that verse in Isaiah where he says, see, I haven't forgotten you. I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. So in the end, we belong to God and God belongs to us. One commentator said, baptism is the watermark of our true currency. Baptism is the watermark of our true currency. And that's what we, we say in baptism when we baptize anyone is that you belong to God. We affirm that for them in the presence of the community. Caesar's story is small and we know how it ends. God's story is big and ever unfolding and it is the story that we participate in as well. Now when the Pharisees and the Herodians heard this, they were amazed, it says, and they left him and went away. This is a sad part of the story, this double leaving of Jesus. Perhaps what Jesus wanted most for them was for them to stay, to stay in the conversation, to ask about taxes and images on coins and participation in the system and what that all means. Those questions were and are important. Jesus was inviting them to a careful and mature reflection on who and what has authority in the world and in our lives. But it says they left him and went away. David White has written, Maturity beckons, asking us to be larger, more fluid, more elemental, less cornered, less unilateral, a living conversational intuition between the inherited story, the one we are privileged to inhabit, and the one if we are large enough and broad enough, more able enough, and even here enough, just astonishingly about to occur. Jesus was inviting them into a bigger story, a story in which everything is God's, a story in which they could reflect more carefully upon their participation in the system so that they could understand who they were and what God might be calling them to in that time. The next few weeks are important and intense as we approach the election, and we know it is not going to be easy. So I'd like to invite you, don't let anyone draw you into either or thinking. Try to stay above the partisan rhetoric. Participate in the system. Please vote. Please engage in conversation, but don't let it own you. Remember, that God's people are to be a blessing wherever we find ourselves and in whatever situation comes about. And lastly, remember, as the old confession says, the Westminster Confession, in life and in death, we belong to God. 
ground yourself in practices of belonging. For you are God's and God is yours. Amen.